Good morning. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we come to gentleness, we're on holy ground. Um, gentleness and humility are the character, are the adjectives Jesus used to describe himself, and they really come together. You really can't look at gentleness without looking at humility because humility is the foundation for gentleness. We arrive at gentleness because of humility, so we'll look at both of them. Look what it says. Uh, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We talked about being Christ-like, which is the goal of transformation. And if you try to condense, crystallize what it means to be Christ-like, it would be humble-minded and gentle-mannered. And that's from Jesus. He describes himself as humble and gentle in heart. Let's think about being humble-minded, and that will be the foundation that will be able to understand what it means to be gentle-mannered. When we think of humility, the direction of humility is down. Literally, to be humble means to be low, and the direction of pride is up. Pride ascends to be served, and humility moves in the opposite direction. It stoops to serve. So we could put it this way, that pride ascends into greatness, but humility descends into greatness. And that's the direction that Jesus points out to all who would be his followers. Humility allows us to set our agenda aside and take up another's agenda. And again, in order to develop gentleness, God develops humility. We looked at this verse. We're going to look at actually an Old Testament verse that describes the process of humility, and we'll look at a New Testament one as well. See what it says in describing the way God led the Israelites around in the wilderness after he delivered them from Egypt. This is what it says. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And if you want to put some words together that seem to describe the process that God brought them through in the wilderness, it would be these words, hunger, humility, and hearing. It began with causing them to hunger. And that process of learning to deal with unmet needs and unfulfilled desires, that is the process by which we learn humility. Humility, biblically, is not 
somebody who is self-effacing. It's not, oh, it, it was nothing. It was, that's not humility biblically. Humility is a more difficult thing. Humility is when you're put in a situation on a chronic basis that you can't use what you have to get what you want. And the frustration of having to deal with that, learning to deal with unfulfilled desires, unmet expectations, that's the process of learning humility. So there's hunger, humility, And those seem to be the basis for hearing. That's what it says. Discipline biblically is God bringing his children to a place where they can do and be the people he needs them to do and to be. And um, humility involves two different experiences. There's a water experience and a wilderness experience. There's a water experience. A water experience, when I'm talking about water, is think of the Israelites walking across the Red Sea on dry land. And there's walls of water on either side. That's a water experience. And when they're walking across the Red Sea on dry land, it is incredibly obvious that God is with them. They know for sure. They can see the walled up water on either side. They know God is leading us across this, the Red Sea and on dry land. That's a water experience where God's provision and his presence are evident. But then there are wilderness experiences where his presence and his provision are not evident. And what we know about the Judean wilderness is right on the other side of the Red Sea. When they move, they are one or two days in and they are in a complete wilderness where there's no water. And that's what happened to them. They had a water experience and right on its heels... Being able to think about, boy, remember what that was like when we walked across the water on dry land and what that was amazing. Two days after that, they're in the wilderness and they think they're going to die of thirst. It must have been spiritual whiplash. How did we get here? And that seems to be the way it is. We're involved in experiences where God's presence seems to be very evident. We see, we feel, we see his provision and then... As quick as that happens, we find ourselves in a completely different experience where we don't have what we need and what we want. That seems to be the, the process that, by which God teaches us humility and gentleness. And it wasn't just for the Jews in the Old Testament. Jesus went through the same things. Let's look at a, what it says. It says, and when Jesus was baptized... He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we see a couple different things. We see a water experience. Jesus was baptized. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest so he could see the evidence of God's um, activity. He heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He experienced God directly. He saw the spirit, he heard the voice of his father. And then right on the heels of that, a wilderness experience, immediately after that experience, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Um, It seems then it's the spirit that led Jesus from the water into the wilderness. And it seems then that in order for the fruit of the spirit to be developed, the influence of the spirit will require that we might have some experiences where God's presence is obvious, but then we will be exposed to experiences where it isn't where again, we don't have what we want and need, and we experience hunger and humility. But those are things that we are exposed to in order to listen and to tune in God's voice. Um, Jesus' hunger, Jesus got hungry after 40 days. Hunger isn't a bad thing. You know, we don't, hunger feels uncomfortable because it means that we don't have something that we need. Um, In the wilderness, the temptation, when you think of what did Jesus go through? So what the temptation seems to be this, that Jesus would leverage his connection to the Father to eliminate discomfort. If he turns the stone into bread, he eliminates physical discomfort. If he jumps off the wall and angels save him, He removes emotional discomfort. It's obvious that God is with him. If he gets glory from the world, he gets rid of social discomfort. And what the temptation was then, leveraging his connection to remove physical or emotional or social discomfort. And the thing that Jesus learned, he didn't leverage connection with God to eliminate tension. Again, tension is not pleasant. But what Jesus understood, he didn't assume that the reason his connection with God existed was to enable him to eliminate tension. What Jesus understood, he used his connection with God not to eliminate temptation, not to eliminate tension, excuse me, but to endure it. And this is what it describes. It it talks about Jesus in the days of his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. This is one of the most striking passages in the Bible as far as describing what it would have been like to be Jesus. You know, what would it have been like to walk on water or to 
to know that you were the son of the father. And certainly that would have put Jesus in a different place. But there's things that Jesus experienced that were very human. And what it says, he learned obedience from what he suffered. That word obedience comes from two words, under and listen. And what it describes, Jesus' ability to tune in the voice of the Father. So he would have had different voices. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what the water experience communicated to him. But then he's 40 days in the wilderness and he's hearing a different voice. The voice from his stomach saying, okay, this might be all well and good, but if we don't get anything down here, we're in trouble. And what Jesus was able to do, he didn't ignore the hunger, but he was able to tune in the voice of the father. He learned under listening from the things he suffered. And that seems to be one of those things that's not just true about Jesus, but is true about anybody who would be his follower in a deep way. We're not going to end up being in places where we're going to see God's activity, but then there's going to be places where we won't. And in that time, we will, the challenge is not to pretend that we don't have needs, but to be able to hold the reality of our unmet needs and to hold God's hand at the same time. That's a really tough thing to learn. To say, you know what, God, I don't like the way this feels. I don't like the way this relationship feels. I don't like the way my job feels. I don't like the things that I'm going through. And while that's true, I still understand that you're with me and that you, that I, I need you. And to be able to hold on to the reality of unmet needs and hold on to God's promises is what Jesus, and look what it says. He learned it. And if this would be something that we had to learn because we're sinful, then Jesus wouldn't have had to learn it because he never sinned. The fact that Jesus learned under listening from what he suffered, you know what I think that means for us? If we're going to learn it, we're going to have to experience some difficult things like, now maybe not the same kind of intensity of difficult things Jesus did, but for you and I, if we're going to learn humility, we're going to end up being in places where we, that we have what we don't want, or we don't have what we do want. We're going to be in places where we, we feel what we don't want to feel, and we don't feel what we want to feel. We're going to do things we don't want to do, and we're not going to do things we want to do. We're going to think things we don't want to think and not think things that we do. We're going to deal with frustration. Uh, Jesus did. Learning to, Jesus learned to live with physical hunger, emotional hunger, and social hunger. He learned to give these desires to God rather than to assume that he shouldn't be experiencing them. And Jesus, he had, a, he had something that gave him a leg up. A lot of people, when they think about God, they don't understand that he understands sympathetic and sovereign. Jesus' vision of the Father was such that he felt like he could trust God enough to be honest with him. And so he poured out his heart to God with loud cries and tears. And I want you to think about that. Jesus had the ability to be very vulnerable with God. Open, honest. He didn't pretend. I heard somebody say, religion will frequently ask you to pretend but Jesus never will. 
I think that's true. In times where we're experiencing need, it's difficult to learn to, that to trust God means, not that you say, no, God, everything's fine, but that you were able to say, God, things don't feel fine. That's what Jesus was able to do. That kind of honesty comes, it's, Jesus had, because his picture of the Father was clear enough, he understood that the Father was safe to bring his needs to. Jesus had to learn to live with frustrated desires in order to have the humility to be gentle. Uh, to, the challenge with hunger, that when we have unmet needs, well, this verse we look at frequently, but it's going to say something that I see it describes me and it describes all of us. Look what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? What that means is that when we have unmet needs, our natural reaction is we're going to blame somebody. The reason that I have what I have is because I'm not a good person. Or the reason that I have what I have is that I'm not married to a good person. I'm not the daughter of a good person. I'm not the father. I'm, there's somebody doing something wrong because if I have unmet needs, that means somebody's to blame. And that's our natural default setting. And what God teaches us is that you can be experiencing need and it's not because you've done anything wrong. And it's not because those you depend on did anything wrong. The fact is, if we're going to be taught to be humble and gentle, we're going to have to experience difficulties and frustrations. Jesus did, and we're going to have to do the same thing. And the thing that enables it, the thing that makes it hard, is that we, we react forcefully to hunger we force ourselves to be satisfied. Some of us aren't really good at being honest with God. We, we force ourselves to be satisfied, or we force somebody else to satisfy us. Some of, some of us turn our frustration inward. Some of us turn our frustration outward. What Jesus wants us to learn, what he learned, and what the Father wants us to learn, is, okay, you might be correcting, you might need to correct things, but don't do that first. Connect first connection, honest, then correction. Bring your unmet needs to God. God, this doesn't feel good. This feels, I feel lonely. I feel, and bring that to God and trust him with that. And then ask him to help you. I don't like the way school feels. I don't like the fact that I don't have the friends at school. I don't have the friends at my job. Learn to be honest with God about that. That's what humility is about. Um, when we're forceful, we aren't gentle. Humility opens the door to gentleness. Learning to live with tension, the tension of unwanted feelings, is foundation. It's foundational to gentleness. Let's think about gentleness. When we, and as we learn to experience things, and it takes time, as we, our humility is developed, our gentleness will automatically increase gentleness exists on the foundation of humility. Gentleness is about learning. I don't need to get what I want. I'd like it, but I don't need it because I've learned to touch my desires and touch God's hand at the same time. And that doesn't mean that I don't want, but it means I can tolerate. 
discomfort. It's a lot easier for us to go through something when we don't go through it alone. And that's what God wants to do. He wants us to walk with him as we go through wilderness times. Um, James talks about what gentleness looks like. Good, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Uh, talks about what gentleness is like. It's pure. Pure means it's not divided. You don't say one thing and think another. It's peaceable. Gentleness, the opposite of gentleness is being combative, pugilistic. The opposite of being gentle is being contentious and argumentative. It's when somebody says something to jump on it. That's being forceful. I'm going to impose my influence to make you think what I think. That's being forceful. And we tend to use forcefulness on ourselves or on others. Gentleness is not forcefulness. It's, in fact, it's the opposite of that. It's being peaceable. It's, to be gentle is to be considerate. What considerate means, it comes from a word meaning to find common ground. What gentleness means then, not only do I not compete or combat with you, but that I look for common ground. Oh, I'm saying this and you're saying that and trying to look because it's easier to walk with somebody when you see some things in common. It's to be reasonable. Reasonable is to be open-minded, to be easily persuaded. Reasonable is, tell me more. The opposite of reasonable is, no, it's to be obstinate and to put walls up, full of mercy and good fruit. Gentleness expresses itself in service, providing what other people want and need. It's unwavering. Literally, the word unwavering means not judgmental. A person who tends to, and again, all of us struggle with things, but a person who gentle, who tends to, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. When we become judgmental, it's very, diff well, very difficult. I think it's probably impossible to be gentle because to be gentle is to be non-judgmental. And to be gentle is to be non-hypocritical. That's the word without hypocrisy. It's not to, some people are very overt with their opposition. Some of us are not as overt. And somebody say, what'd you think about that? Oh, that was fine. And it wasn't fine. But I'm just not at the place I can tell the truth about. And gentleness has kind of hurt my feelings. And that gentleness is more open and honest. So gentleness is evidenced by the ability to look for common ground, not being argumentative and combative. Gentleness is about being open-minded, full of mercy and good fruit, non-hypocritical and not judgmental. You know, we're taught, it's, it's frequently taught that if we have godly desires, we can have what we want. You heard that? 
If you can make your desires godly, you can get what you want. Um, the truth is that, that when you become a follower of Jesus, um, you're not going to get we're not going to get what we want sometimes, even if our desires are godly. That's what Jesus told Peter. That's what gentleness looks like. And I think I have, let me see if I, if I have. There's the, the list of characteristics of humility. There it is. Here's what Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show about what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. The enemy of humility and gentleness is the assumption that we should be able to get what we want. Again, all of us want to get what we want. The ability to learn not to have to get what we want, that's what humility is about. And as humility grows, it breeds the ability to, to be a little more tolerant with our tension and to be able to be gentle with others. Uh, Christianity isn't converting our desires and getting what we want. Christianity is about leveraging trust to live with unfulfilled desires, to learn that's not an easy lesson. Um, Christianity about is learning to live with the tension of unmet needs. And on that foundation, to be able to treat others gently. We pray for us. Father, the road to gentleness is difficult. It doesn't just arrive. It doesn't just overwhelm us. It's the byproduct of learning to walk the road you walked. Again, we don't like frustration. But what we see is that those whom you lead as shepherd will experience a degree of frustration, not because anything's wrong, but because that's the road that you walk us on in order to teach us humility and gentleness so that we might learn to be humble-minded and gentle-mannered. Jesus, you're the one that says that if we remain in you, you remain in us and you'll bear fruit. I pray that as we learn to walk with you little by little, little by little, that you might help us to be more Christ-like, humble-minded, Christ-like, gentle-mannered, in Jesus' name. Amen.